Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone-Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Annie Highwater. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies in Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. Um, and uh, I'm here with Kayla Solomon. Hi, Kayla. Hi, Laurie. <laughs> and, Dominique, and Dominique Simone uh, Levine, the creator of the Allies in Recovery website. Hi, Dominique. How are you? Fine. Morning to you both. So today we're going to actually have a discussion about a pretty hot topic. Um, and it has to do with the language, okay, the language around substance use disorder. Um, and uh, actually how we kind of got onto this conversation was actually talking about substance use disorder and the word addiction. Um, and let's see, I, <laughs> let's, let's just get into it because I'm okay with substance use disorder or SUD. Dominique and Kayla have a different kind of twist on it. And, uh, and um, Dominique, go ahead, say what you got to say. What about addiction? I think addiction is a fine word. And since I work in the field and I have to use that, that idea all the time, I need one simple word, addiction. I can't, I can't be doing person with substance use disorders all day long and and so I, I was asking you Lori in particular what you felt about the word addiction as a set of behaviors that we, we have come to be come to be defined as substance use disorder I I think well so first off I think SUD is fine why can't I, I I'll just say SUD. Um, and I think that it isn't about me and my perception of the word. It's about other people's perception of the word. And I don't have SUD. So I'm not stigmatized by any by that language. But I do believe that if other people are saying, I find it stigmatizing. And I think we're talking about really a very large group of disenfranchised people that are that are looking to change perceptions in the community about who they are. Um, and that the word addiction and addict sends a particular picture to someone else's mind. Um, and especially especially in things like um, like first responders, police officers, right? Um, uh, how people get talked about. It's really a derog they're derogatory terms. And so, okay, you know, um, maybe you don't want to use uh, a person with substance use disorder or an individual or a patient, but you can use those words without adding the SUD on the end of it. Does that make sense? So like we can talk about it. They're, 
you know, in terms of like, oh, their drug use or their substance use or the person or the individual. And, and I think, I think it's got nothing to do with me. It has to do with me having respect for the other person. And right, I don't right. want to send, right. And I also think a part, a major part of the problem with using stigmatizing language is it leads to, um, it leads to discriminatory actions uh, towards that person, right? Especially in like the medical field, um, uh, first responders, police officers, right? There is this, uh, it leads to very, very, very stigmatizing and then discriminatory actions towards that person. So I think that's why there's this push to change the language. Now, the, the, the only thing about that is, is there isn't a push to change the language in safe spaces, right? So in other words, um, if you go to a meeting and you refer to yourself as an addict, or let's say if you're a peer and you're working with, you know, you're doing outreach on the streets, and um, you know, if you go there and you and you start using language, you know, it's it, in those moments, it's an opportunity to make a connection with a person, right? So that is a different situation, right? There, there are spaces where using this kind of language makes people comfortable, right? Um, someone gave a, a perfect example, like if you have someone who is um, maybe, you know, uh, uh, you know, two people that maybe um, are living with a with a wheelchair and in a safe space, maybe in a supportive setting, they might refer to one another as as a crip. I would never say that outside. Right. One, I wouldn't say it anyway, but. Uh, even in that safe space, I wouldn't say, it, but I wouldn't be in that safe space, right? So it it's one thing if it's if it's like ownership of the word and you're comfortable with the word and you're in a safe setting. It's another thing if I am a professional or a peer, right? Or um, I am, uh, you know, I'm a doctor in the emergency room, right? Using that kind of language. Um, actually sets a, a really negative tone between the individual and the professional. And it leads to discriminatory acts. I agree with that. I think what I wind up doing, because I never say to somebody, you're an addict or whatever the word is, but I also never say, it looks like you have a substance use disorder because I just don't like that particular combination of words because mm -hmm. it makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. What I, what I wind up doing with people when they're in my office and we're talking is, um, do you think you have a problem? That's what, that's the question I ask. Do you think you have a problem? And they're like, I don't have a problem, blah, 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 with, you know, heroin or alcohol, whatever. And then the question that I ask is, do you have, are the problems that you have in your life associated with the times that you're using? And then I am like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying you drink too much, you use too much, but yeah, are yeah. the problems in your life associated with using that? That means that you have a problem with that. With that, Right, um, right. 
And so you're just helping the person. I, I right. never say you're an you're an addict ever because right. it's not for me to call. Right. I don't think I don't think that's what we're talking about. I, I yes, I agree with you, and I don't think a professional like a counselor or although I don't know because because I've heard some pretty bad horror stories from from other people about um counseling and all of that like some really bad stuff I think we're talking about in general if we switch the language around so like if 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 journalists stop using stigmatizing language if when a person goes into the emergency room, they don't label them as drug seeking, right? Or they don't, uh, oh, um, things like, um, things like, uh, oh, you're here for your vacation again, you needed a vacation again, right? Like it's it's these, you know, oh, he's an addict or, or like first responders, um, you know, so you're an addict, you're struggling with your addiction, right? You know, that there that does happen, right? It does happen. Oh, you have to really want it, right? Well, you can't help and you can't, and it's very, very stigmatizing to a person and it gets in the way of people asking for help. And and that's why I'm that's why I'm saying that's why the big move to change the language. Um because we don't refer to other illnesses in the same way, right? We don't, you know, if if someone if someone messes up their medicine for diabetes and ends up in the emergency room for something, we don't go, oh, you know, you were not uh, compliant with your medicine and you're here for a vacation, right? We don't we don't stigmatize people and and make it so that it's very difficult to ask for help. I mean, we're talking about a very vulnerable, I think personally, I think one of the most vulnerable populations there is are people that use substances. And then there's even, you know, subsets of that, people of color, and then uh, people of color with substance use disorder, then um, uh, pregnant women with using opioids and the stigma against them. I wouldn't go and ask for help if I was pregnant and I was struggling with opioids. I wouldn't go and ask for help because people stigmatize that large population of, of, um, of women as being horrible, horrible people and mothers that don't care about their babies and, and just changing the language just a little bit so that people would be more willing to step forward and ask for help. Does that make I, sense? I understand what you're saying. I just, I wish it was that clear cut for me. I guess I'm more of a cynic than believing that if we change the words that people are not gonna be stigmatized. I think as soon as people see that you have a prescription for whatever opiate you have, and if you go to the hospital or if you've been to the hospital four times, you're gonna get the exact same treatment no matter what. The, the label is. And so that I look at, I think people look at behavior and stigmatize people. Oh, so, oh, I, I don't know. I think all of this, all of what we're doing, all of what we're doing on allies and recovery and craft is changing our language to make a difference. It's all about the words. It's all about communication. And um, I and I think you have a you have some pretty strong, strong um, 
research out there that is saying that if if people could just change these particular words, um, that there could be change. See, right. I believe that it's about understanding. To me, it's like because because that's what happened for me. Somebody said to me, "You have to use substance use disorder," and all it did was make me stumble over my words. And I believe that when you're looking at changing how perception, you have to have education. And the totally agree. Is, the totally. education is what what's behind the substance use disorder, what's behind addiction. It's like, and and I believe that the most important thing is like if the if the providers don't understand that there's trauma, if the providers don't understand that that it's habituated and that people are dependent on these things. If the providers don't understand that there's not enough resources out there to help people stay clean, even if they want to be clean, then where the words are interesting, but they don't change people's behavior. I think they do. I think okay. I think they do. And I think that re research actually shows that it does, right? Because you can take um, it, and I think it was, uh, um, Dr. Kelly out of Harvard did, did some research where he said people that work in the field of substance use disorder, I think it was social workers, and he ran this experiment where he gave the exact same case and used different words. And in those words, one used addict, one used like an individual with this, that, you know, they really changed the stigmatizing language. The one group that had the stigmatizing language in it were more likely to punish the person with substance use disorder than the other group. And it, and I agree with you, Caleb, but I also think that surprisingly, um, changing your language actually starts, can start to change your thoughts about, about, um, about things. And, and I'll just go by saying, I wasn't convinced about the language thing. Actually, actually, it was when I saw Dr. Kelly speak in Dominique. We were together at this conference in Marlboro when um, Dr. Kelly spoke on that. And um, I walked out of this conference thinking language like really. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. And um, it was also around the time that I was becoming a peer specialist. So I was going through the training and they did a whole thing on stigma uh, and language. And I said, okay, I'm going to change just three words in my vocabulary. And at the end of, I've done, I've been doing it now for about, uh, I would say about three years. Um, and now I've changed more than three words it's a heck of a lot more than that. And just changing the words changed my attitude and my feelings about substance use disorder thing, you know, people with substance use disorder. And it also um, inspired me to think about what you're talking about, Kayla. Why? Why, do why does this word um, send that message? And what about that do I need to change about my understanding in my own mind? So I think they both work together. What was the shift that you made? Oh, I changed to substance use disorder. Yep. I went from addiction to substance use disorder. Um, let's see, what else did I change? Um, 
I don't say sober home. I say recovery home. Um, I mean, there's quite a few of them. I try not to say relapse. I try to say lapse. Um, and as far as families go, I try really hard not to say codependent and enabling. Um, those are the two words I saw Dr. Robert Ashford speak. He did. He came to Brown University and he did. He's done a lot of research on stigma and language, and um, he's actually one of the only researchers that I know of that's done any research on stigma with the family. And the two words that that came out of it was enabling and codependency. And it was like, okay, I'm going to try and cut those. I never liked codependency yeah. at all. Anyway, it's like, oh, you're trying to diagnose me. I don't think that's even really a diagnosis, if my understanding and, you know, stop, just stop it. Um, but codependency and enabling. So those were the few words that I started, I started with, and then it kind of blossomed pretty quickly into a lot more of the language and people corrected me. Um, I was saying sober home, sober home. And someone else um, said something to me and said, you know, recovery home is the term we use now. And it was like, okay, thank you. Right. And yeah, recovery home has a much more positive spin on it. Um, and, and we talk, we do this, right. We, we talk about this in craft and allies and recovery, right? Like we want to, instead of saying a recovery coach, we almost want to say a life coach, or instead of saying going to see a therapist or a counselor, we, we say a life coach, right? Because we want the, we want to present to the, it, because to me, it's not what I'm, it's not how I intend the word. And it's not about me. It's about my impact on others if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that this makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate this first time I've gotten clear about this since you guys have been using the word substance use disorder, which has driven me nuts. So I appreciate <laughs> this. Um, and, and I also think it's a worthy experiment for all of us to do is just to try it and see what happens. Cause I think that th that's how I even deal with all of this substance use issue is you try experiments because it's not about yes or no, or this works or doesn't see what happens. It's like, give it a shot. And then I think what you're saying, and one of the things that we keep talking about is awareness. And so the more we put things on the table to take apart, the more we can right. increase conscious awareness about what the impact is, why we think a certain way, how it affects our behavior. So I think that it's a very interesting way to proceed is just to kind of put out there, okay, let's try changing the words and see how it changes ourself first, but what's the impact? I actually very, very rarely use the word, if I use the word codependent, I'm talking about it as a dynamic, not as a person. Like I don't say you're a codependent, I'm like, okay, so the codependent dynamic is that you're in somebody else's business and you think you have control over somebody else. That's the dynamic of codependency. So you have to look at how much do you think, how much influence do you think you have? How much do you think you can control the person? And enabling, that's a word I do not use because right. it, doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It's more, again, it's a systems piece here where we're part of a system. You know, each one of us is part of a system. And I feel like 
the work of craft and the work that we're talking about is you need to gain awareness of your part of the system. Right. What's your what's your behavior? What's your thinking? What effect are you having on the other person? What's the effect that you're having on yourself? And then when we take this conversation about the words, it's like, how do the words impact you and how do the words impact the other person? Right. So if you start playing around with words and seeing how your words affect people, that's a great part of looking at the system. So right. I really appreciate this conversation. It's just like this. It's like, we're a system. And by us having a little discussion argument, as I like to say, then I get to I get to say, oh, that's interesting. Let me take this and not be defensive about it, but really take it and see what I could do differently with it. Right. Well, I, I like these conversations too. And it, yeah, conversation argument, right? But um, which takes a group of people having going in open-minded yes. and just saying, okay, well, let me think, let me think about this, right? And let me consider it. Right. And then let's see what happens. But I also feel like the the other thing about like being able to, I like to fight. So I'm sorry. That's my way. It's the Jewish thing. Um, <laughs> because what happens is you need to convince me. And, and I feel like, you know, for people who don't like to fight, they don't ever get to be really Say their present piece. their case. Right. And so to me, it's like, why are you thinking this way? What, what, how did you make sense of it? And then if you don't agree with me, what I like to say is just try it, you know, right. just try it and see, because you don't have to agree with me. And the other thing is, I don't know if anybody else has this, but I've always had, I, I come from a long line of people that like to be right. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of the loved <laughs> ones have that as a shtick. So yep. to me, it's like, I'd rather be connected than right. right. Because what I realized long ago and I found this the hard way is if I'm right, you're wrong. Right. Okay. Look, look, you're right. No. <laughs> right. But, and so that I used to have this as like, oh, I'm right. How great is that? But then I realized the impact of me being right meant that I was always making other people wrong. And I think family members absolutely have right. to look at this because right. we do this all the time. This is the right way. You should do this. Mm -hmm. And then we're making the other person wrong immediately. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is, I love that we modeled. You could have a different place that you're coming from, but then how do you work with it? Right. Right. Well, what do you think, Dominique? And remember, you're on mute. <laughs> there we go. Another uh, really fascinating conversation. It reminds me how language um, language is always political. And up here in Quebec, where the French and the English are very touchy about language, it's the touch point of a whole separate sub two groups of people living together over hundreds of years, and they fight about language. That's the touch point of everything. I also am a person who still has this just stupid little immaturity streak in me because maybe because I've, I've had addiction. I've, I struggle with substance use disorder in, in, in my life, but I like calling myself a junkie and I'm older. So, you know, 
it's as though you're trying to take this away from me. For, since I started recovery 26 years ago, I have been calling myself, hi, my name is Dominique. I am an alcoholic and an addict. And I know the problem with that. I know it's static. It's not what I am. It's what I did. I know all of that. But it, it really pulled me through those early years of just making sure that was the priority in my day. I am an alcoholic and an addict. And I don't know it. it and I, you know, that was Alcoholics Anonymous. And AA saved my life. And, I, and I've had other types of help along the way. It was by no means the only thing I tried. But it helped me change my identity. And I don't know if I'm going to get up in front of anybody and say, hi, my name is Dominique and I struggle with substance use disorder, disorder and you, you know what I mean? I'm just I saying. Do. I'm, I do. I'm, but, but I also think, so the whole movement of changing stigmatizing language, though, the whole movement also um, is very wide open to uh, and talks about safe spaces to use. Um, particular stigmatizing language or what I shouldn't use, right? Like, so being in an AA meeting or it's, it's like other groups, right? Like you might have derogatory comments that, or, or <clears throat> derogatory and stigmatizing language that you could use with a group of Italian people or Irish people or, right? they might use that language in their own community. I think it's more than that. It's not just, it's not just inside, inside, outside. It, 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 you're asking me to, I feel like, I feel like my identity is no longer my definition. It's being taken over by other people's definition. And I'm just a little rebellious, which turns out I am um, about everything. <laughs> and, and as Kayla pointed out, that's why I kept going in school. Um, I hadn't realized that, but so that's, that's, that's my point of view. I, I think we're just, we have a couple minutes left. Um, and I just want to echo John Kelly's work at Harvard. And he did, he did find that providers treated their patients very differently, depending on the words that the, whatever the pre-op, whatever the, the case notes were. And, and, um, and so it, it, it is real and it is very important um, that we, 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 we address this and continue to address it because language, language is what makes us human, y'all. Well, you know, it's not just the opposable thumb, it's language that, that led us to cult evolution. So, you know, we need, this is, this is one of the foundations of our humanity. And then right. I'm gonna add this additional piece for the last perception part of it is, that if, you, if you're a provider or even a loved one listening to this, the most important thing to know about people who are dealing with substance use issues is that it started with a positive intention, okay? That they were protecting themselves, they were doing something to serve their dynamics, their issues, they were trying to mm -hmm. take care of themselves in some way. We won't talk about how dysfunctional it was, but it started with a positive intention. I, right. I'm feeling this. I, I need something. I'm going to take this tool and use it. And I feel like if we could start from that place, knowing that it started positively and then it went awry um, because people, human beings are frail and have issues, 
then I, that's to me, that's what I was talking about by looking at the deeper issues. Like if right. you look at somebody's behavior, you're looking at nothing. That means nothing. That's just a reaction to all of this subterranean mess that's going on. And so the compassion starts with really getting that people had a positive intention. Yeah. It went awry. Right. Which I think, which I think is exactly why the language evolved the way it did is because people observe the behavior and make the judgment and don't understand what is behind the behavior, what's driving that behavior. Yeah. And the substance. I also would argue. I also would argue. There's a. There's a. There's a. There's a. A, a solid line between the word addiction and non-addiction. You know that. And actually, if you follow Maya Salovitz, you know that she's arguing it's actually a brain disorder. It's a learning disorder, not unlike autism and mm-hmm. and and or attention deficit. And so it's a continuum. It's not a. It's not a box called substance use disorder and non-substance use disorder it's it's a whole continuum right so it you want to if you want to be careful you want to say you know somebody who's using right period right (laughs) right and even then you're getting in trouble with process addictions versus you know so it's 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 kind of thorny but I'm glad really glad we've had this talk today really important yeah I appreciate it Thank you. Well, thank you. And we will be back again next week. Bye, ladies. Bye. Have a good week. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesandrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, our production team, and Mikael Mouboussin for the original music composition.